You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, and joined today by Brian Nella, making a return to the show after a little bit of a break. Brian, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. So, as always, we've got some things to talk about around the world of supply chain. Obviously, anyone listening to this show knows that we really talk about the power of network and connectivity on a global scale. Brian, just a little perspective on that. So, you know, Obviously, the world of supply chain has changed in the last decade plus as businesses have outgrown their own internal systems and recognized that they live in a large ecosystem of partners and suppliers, trading partners, carriers, people they depend on in order to make and deliver and sell the goods that they're known for, (laughs) for lack of a better word. Uh, I guess sort of where are we now today? perspective-wise, within that world of supply chain? What are some of the biggest challenges companies are are overcoming, uh, obviously, with technology? And how are they reacting to the change that is constant? Yeah, yeah, great. So, yeah, just as you said, it's been a constant evolution. You know, if you think about supply chain, you know, 20 years ago versus what you're seeing today, we've evolved. A lot of that has to do with expectations, and that's expectations on the part of customers. It's uh, expectations between trading partners, between internal parties. You know, a lot of that has to do with alignment. So there's a lot of change. And I think you can almost say supply chain in general has become almost mainstream. And if you think about, you know, the Amazon effect, if I'm a consumer and I place an order, all of a sudden I know exactly when to expect my stuff to arrive. And there's that Amazon-like reliability that I depend on. And I think that has, you know, found its way into the B2B space where, you know, if I'm a chemical manufacturer or a consumer goods producer, I expect that same level of Amazon-like visibility and reliability, you know, in my day-to-day business. So that's uh, been a big difference. And I think, again, picking up on Amazon a bit further, you know, what they've done in terms of expectations for next day or two-day delivery. So there's this rapid speed of business that's occurring. And then there's also the speed of change that's occurring. You know, if you think about supply chain, as you said earlier, it's, a, it's really a whole network. And it's, you know, the networks have gotten deeper and more intermingled between geographies and, you know, going further overseas and et cetera. It just gets more complex. And just getting a handle on how quickly that can change. So, one of the ways to to punch back, and I think where a lot of the emphasis is being placed nowadays is on data. You know, how do I get a handle on data, all that information that's out there with my external parties, and utilize that to meet customer demand, to meet my service levels, and, and to remain profitable? We know that this is, is where the future is going, but it's still been it's a challenge. If you think about the amount of data that's out there, it's just massive. You know, there are there are numbers uh, out there. I think it's uh, you know the total volume of digital data globally said to be doubling every two years, and I think the total is projected to be forty-four zettabytes by twenty twenty. And I have no idea how many zeros that would be in that number. That's a very big number. A lot of data out there. A lot of exabytes too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and an exabyte is. Uh, billion gigabytes. So a zettabyte, it's extend that out, you were looking at a lot of bytes. Yes. That's a big amount of data. All right. And so all that data is flooding in from different places. So if um you know in, in the supply chain I've got data coming in from IoT and from my trading partners. There's just so much out there that these guys are actually, you know, drowning to an extent. And sometimes it's hard to know what's valuable, what's real, what's quality, and what's noise. 
And that's a big challenge as well that, that needs to be addressed. How do I filter out the noise and focus really on what's important and what's going to have an impact? Yeah. In other words, there's no single point solution capable of doing this sort of math to do that much homework, to measure that much data. If you're looking at the traditional world of ERP, you're really just kind of making plans for what's in front of you and what you can control. And then you're measuring against basic metrics and past performance. What you're talking about is it's now evolving to a point where we're starting to really look about all the real data in the world, as messy as it is, and really start to measure what's really happening in the supply chain and learn from it in the moment and react. That's a much different way than the traditional world of planning and setting up for the long term of getting a product moved from production to a store, say. Exactly. And I think one of the words you mentioned there, being able to react, I think that's an approach or, or kind of the way that supply chains have functioned for a long time. I think where we're going now is the idea of not being reactive, but being proactive. And and that involves, as just as you said, having a greater handle on all the data, on all of the movement of, of goods on all of the trading partners that are working throughout the network and keeping a tight handle on it. And eventually, yes, working in some of those uh, you know, data science, uh, AI, machine learning to be more predictive and prescriptive eventually. All right. So we talk about this idea around a network approach in which everyone is connected and sharing at least some version of the truth, a single information model in real time about the supply chain. And it benefits theoretically everyone who's connected to that network because all of a sudden... They're not as surprised when some change happens elsewhere in the world. They're at least notified of that status. Is this evolving as well? Are we still kind of getting to a point where there's mass connectivity across partners? Or do we feel that people are accepting this is the reality of supply chain today? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great call out. Um, you know, there's actually data that came out from IDC recently that by the end of 2018, 90% of manufacturing supply chains will use B2B commerce networks as the dominant collaboration tool for demand, supply, service, and new product development. And now even further, by 2019, 50% of manufacturing supply chains will have benefited from digital transformation and the remainder will be held back by outdated business models or functional structures. So you know, to the point you just made, you know, there's going to be a big gap between leaders and, and laggards. And those who really have a handle on the data, have a handle on their networks, will be you know significantly you know, at, at an advantage. And this gets into you know connecting all trading partners in a network. So yes, as you said, data flows smoothly and process flows are seamless. And you know, th and that gets into you know, the real power to improve things like service levels and productivity, being proactive. It's tapping all that data that's locked up out there in your supply chain and being able to actually harness it. So supply chain leaders who are starting to realize, hey, if I empower my teams and my partners with collaborative tools and resources where everyone can optimize execution, everyone has visibility into the same amount of, of data and they have inputs and you know, analytics that are both you know, descriptive and predictive and eventually getting into you know, the prescriptive uh, type of, uh, of work and you know, using machine learning to you know, increasingly learn and, and become almost self-learning. This is almost set up when you have that network in place. So it's almost foundational. And I, I think that's probably the key point here and even reflected in the IDC uh, research. It's foundational if supply chains are going to transform, they need to have that hyper-networked approach where 
everyone, all parties are live in the environment. They're actually transacting and working in the network. The data that's flowing there has context and everybody knows, understands the, the meaning behind it. And then when there's actually going to be a shift or an adjustment, execution happens right there in the platform as well. And this gets into some of the more in the interesting things when we talk about eliminating latency both on the data side, data latency, and eliminating executional latency, right? Because when you're not in the network, you're relying on um, stitched together, you know, systems underneath. And some of the, even some of the traditional control towers rely on kind of that stitching together and, and fragmented type and stuff. And there are companies that certainly have been making that work. I mean, we've seen real-world examples of those out there that, you know, when they're working in their control tower approach and when they're bringing those in, they're relying on still relying on 18 different systems and then putting eyes on it to measure or to watch all these different dashboards at the same time and then react to it, it seems, right? It's not as seamless as what you may be describing. Exactly. You know, you end up with still having that fragmented foundation of cobbled together data and connections. Oftentimes, it's still built around that single enterprise concept. So there's not necessarily that multi-party connectivity and collaboration that you're looking for. And also, you know, whenever you're stitching together systems, it's uh, you're going to have visibility that's outdated sometimes within seconds, right? So your EDI and data latency can eventually, you know, they plague any intelligence infrastructure that you have in place. Or it's done in, in batching, right? Where you have to rely on data that's pulled overnight, say, from the last two days or something like that. It's not happening right now. It's certainly not a reflection of the moment. Yeah, exactly. So if you think of it almost being linear, or even if it is coming in in steady streams, you know, it's important to not just have the data in hand, but understanding the context behind it. What's really happening or what really happened when this carrier or this terminal did X. And when you have that additional context, it enables the outputs to be that much richer and more insightful. And it certainly feeds the analytics engine in a lot more uh, robust way. All right. So that's exciting. We're, we seem to have really moved the needle in supply chain over the last several years. And it, it, it seems like we're not quite there yet, but we're getting people into this world of acceptance that it does rely on a network. So you have that foundation and that foundation can bring forth so much change because everyone is in it together. Does it benefit all the other trading partners out there to be on the same platform as say a manufacturer or say there's a shoemaker and their direct competition is using that same network, using that same kind of data and capability to work their supply chain? Uh, is there a way to continue to be gaining positives and differentiating? Yeah, and I think that's a great point as well. You know, again, looking at a network, you look at all the parties and theoretically they're all benefiting in their own way. So, you know, even if I'm a finance provider and I'm plugged in, I'm getting value from visibility into parties and I'm able to pick up new streams of revenue from different forms of financing I might have never been able to offer before. But yes, to your point, you know, suppliers, they're able to see, you know, instantaneously when an order comes in or there's an amendment made or sometimes, you know, they're actually on our network, they're getting paid through the system. So everything's there, you know, and you're in the network, you're not swivel chairing. So something does come up and I need to 
turn around and speak to my trading partner and ask them to make a modification. I'm not coming out of the system, getting on the phone or, or going into another system, doing it all inside of the system. And that's just what makes everything work seamlessly, or at least gives you that ability to be proactive instead of uh, having to deal with latency and gaps in, in time and, and with your data. And I guess finally, you know, it it does seem like there's a lot of a lot of automation. There's a lot of machine learning and processing going on behind the scenes. What's in it for people? Or what is the role of your human staff if the supply chain gets closer and closer to running itself? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because there's a lot of talk right now around the autonomous supply chain and the self-driven supply chain. And, you know, that's a vision and it's out there. It's something that, you know, people like to think, you know, this is where we're working towards. But the truth of the matter is right now, you know, supply chains still require human intervention. And, you know, that path to self-driven is a slow evolution, but it does not replace the role of humans. And rather, you know, that whole process is really built around humans. You know, the the machines are great at automating uh, mundane tasks, you know, picking up on signals and sensors and finding patterns that humans could never see or pick up on or identify anomalies and opportunities based on deep analytical insights and then feeding this information to humans. You know, your procurement directors, your logistics VPs, all the internal guys and gals that run in the supply chain, and of course, all the external parties as well on the outside, they're empowered, you know, with greater insights to do their job, you know, make better decisions, focus their time on strategic initiatives because, you know, the machines themselves have to learn as well, right? And they have to continue to get smarter. And if they're ever going to prescribe greater decisions over time, the machines have to learn. So it's going to be a hand-in-hand process, at least, you know, in the, in the near term, where, you know, a signal comes in and, yeah, maybe I have a delay or I'm going to have an inventory shortage. And yes, the machine can pull up, you know, here's a dashboard of all of my inventory and here's what's available to expedite. And here are the three best options that, that are available. That's great. But I'm still going to have you know my team in there looking and at, you know at least for now making that manual process you know uh, okay here's the best decision I'm going to go with that because there's also a trust factor right no one is going to I don't think anything anyone should go ahead and, and trust their decisions to the machines you know today like I said it's that evolution and um, it's a learning process so it'll be hand in hand I think kind of a co collaboration between uh, machines and, and humans to kind of move us along on this long evolution. But yeah, that's certainly uh, you know a, a lot of work that still needs to be done. Day back to 90s terminology, which I often have to do these days. Skynet is not becoming self-aware just yet, <laughs> but it is going to really help people accomplish more with their supply chains and, and really free them up to achieve new and hopefully positive results for their businesses in the coming years. Yep, That's exactly. pretty exciting stuff. All right, Brian, um, it's been great having you on the show. And certainly, you know, getting some perspective on where supply chain is heading is always fantastic. So thank you for joining yep. us. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming back. For those out there in listener land, thank you for listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn. Please be sure to find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. 